0: We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from Investors Group Financial Services, Inc. You can call now. Leave a message at 905 905- Five two nine seventy one sixty five. there you of course leave a message they will return your call check out the website too at andyanddon.com you can listen to old shows there as well ask a question via the listener inquiry button good morning gentlemen good to see you all good morning, good morning scott, scott. Good all right we're going to start with six common errors that lots of people make
1: yeah and it's you know it's one time after another time after another time and today with the information age there's just so much available. Yeah, we all know everything. Yeah. We're all experts. Yeah, you all know everything and at the same time, nothing. So perfect example, um, last year on August the 3rd, there was four email bursts sent at within like 20 minutes of each other. And the, here's the headlines. It's kind of interesting. Wall Street flat after jobs, um, job data miss. Oh, okay, so I guess the job data miss and the Wall Street didn't do anything. US stocks resilient after tepid jobs report. Okay, so they're hang, hang, hanging in there. Dow Jones and S and P hold on to gains after U.S. economy added fewer jobs. So now there's a gain. Okay, yeah. so it's these are all. This is all within twenty minutes. The same stock market, by the way. And finally, the one by the Associated Press: U.S. stocks mostly higher after solid jobs report. Hmm. <laughs> okay, four totally different um, news-worthy kind of things that people would bite into and say, "Okay, what should I do with my portfolio?" Yeah, and yet. And and they're reading the same data, but the interpretation of whoever's writing this is totally different. And this is what is really, you know, difficult to kind of decipher. What should you do? So paying too much attention to your stock portfolio is the number one error that people are doing. Mm -hmm. They're looking at their funds sometimes hourly because it's so easy. You got your smartphone on. Oh, what's it doing? Oh yeah. my gosh! Set up get an the alert. You know the something's yeah. changed. Yeah. Oh, it's down
2: five percent. What should I do now?
0: Between that and you all your Facebook notifications, how do you get any sleep? <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, I was a, a client I was talking to her. You know, we were talking about longevity in her family. Her mom lived to be over a hundred. Her dad was like ninety-eight. And I said, "Well, the stress of you looking at the value of your portfolio every single day, it's yeah. going to kill you." <laughs> okay.
1: There you go. There you go. And it's it is. Really, too much information, and then trying to find is it accurate? What does it mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, and this is where a fund manager—you know, somebody that's actually looking at that—he's not even looking at this. These news no. you know, headlines, mm. he doesn't look at those anyway. He barely looks at analysts. They, they're doing their own research, trying to figure what they should be doing. Sometimes visiting the actual plant, talking to the CEOs, finding out what's going on, looking at the financial statements. So they're doing all this work anyway, and they're looking at a long-term position on. Whether they should buy it or whether they should shell, should sell it, so emotion gets in the way of uh, making you know making us money. Mm-hmm. We've talked about this many times. Yeah. If it's up a lot, people are saying, "Oh, maybe I should get into this." And a uh, perfect example: weed stock right now. Yeah. Okay. Wow. I should get into this. Well, it's up uh, you know a gazillion percent, mm-hmm. um, and it still doesn't really have earnings, and it's un- so many things that are. N- not clear on whether more competition will come through mm-hmm. so it's actually interesting if you actually look at the index the weed stock index people bought literally a y- at the beginning of the year some of them are actually down depending mm-hmm. on the weed stock they bought yeah, yeah. there's one canopy that done phenomenal yeah but others haven't done as well mm-hmm. so it's it's interesting um it's kind of again we've talked about this before it's kind of reminds me of that dot com boom mm-hmm. And there will be some survivors that do great. Right now it's looking it'll like interesting s-
0: It'll be interesting to see what happens after October 17th. And if there's either a bump up or a yeah. step mm-hmm, down, mm-hmm. if that changes anything at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Maybe
1: people will take their profits. It may actually happen just before.
0: Yeah. And usually yeah.
1: they kind of say, okay, we've got our money oh, Let's get it out. We've, yeah. we've made enough money or we bought it at the wrong time. What should I do? <laughs> okay. Yeah. But it's funny when there's a negative outcome, people are more apt to make a decision. So when they see the markets dropped or the stock they purchased or the mutual fund they have or their index fund they have, they're looking at this after a very short period of time, say six months, and say, oh, what should we do? Uh, probably nothing. Okay. How does this-
0: Go out for dinner. Yeah. <laughs> not look. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and it, and the, what reminds me of this so, so much was the uh, you know Y2K. Yeah. I know that's 18 yeah. years ago. Yeah. 18 years ago, and all this about what the market would do and mm. when the clock's Turn over the, yeah, and, and some of crash. the computers couldn't put in the extra numbers yeah. or something. Anyway, I remember listening on the. I was on a on a cruise. I say, well, I, ships probably won't sink. Yeah.
0: Okay, that's probably the safest place to be, Don,
1: <laughs> on the water. On the, on the water. On a ship. <laughs> Apparently, the planes were going to go down. So yeah, at the time, we're we're <laughs> going to be right. on a ship. I remember that. <laughs> yeah,
0: as soon as at midnight, as soon as everything went from nineteen ninety nine to two thousand, yeah, the
2: bilge pumps will reverse in. and start sucking in water. <laughs> all <of a>
1: sudden, <laughs>
2: <laughs> the
0: boat just starts spinning around in circles. <laughs> right. uh,
1: and I was sitting there waiting for my turn to play shuffleboard with my daughter at the time on right. the ship. <laughs> wow. And the guys were talking and they say, you know what? The best thing I ever did was on, go on this cruise. Yeah. It saved me fortune. I would have sold for sure. Yeah. And the days leading up to Y2K, mm-hmm. the market was surging. Mm. It was going up like crazy. Mm. So he said, thank God I'm on this boat because I couldn't sell. There you go. And it saved him a lot. At the end of the day, you have to look at the long-term, the 10-year plan. And again, Warren Buffett is a perfect example. He, he looks at businesses, buys them. And if he likes them, he wants to buy as much as he can. He holds on to a long time. That's always been his theme. It's nothing, and he got this from another individual that was his mentor. This has been going on for a long time. But again, this information age makes us think, okay, what's going on? And with the U.S. averaging just over four years is how long they hold on to a mutual fund. Mm-hmm. Four years. How do you get a 10-year track record when the average person holds on to four years?
2: Yeah.
1: So anyway, again, when you're dealing with your your advisor, they will continually rebalance the portfolio, but they likely won't make huge guesses. Yeah. Now, if you're buying your own stock portfolio, buying actual individual stocks, that's a different story and we'll get to that in a sec. Number two, chasing the hot investment. And again, this is again talking about weed stock. That's the perfect example. Um, some are actually down up to 25% this year. So Mm -hmm. if you got the wrong one, but you're only hearing about the ones that have done extremely well. And technology, Bitcoin, um, Asian stocks, when I started 30 years ago, it was Japanese stocks. Mm -hmm. Okay. And then they went into the doldrums for like 15 years. And it's interesting, even funds, you look at the hot mutual fund and then you see how much cash went in after it was great. Mm -hmm. Well, I know one particular one, 75% of all the money that went into this fund was after it had a fantastic one-year return. Well, then it didn't have a great return. Mm-hmm. So 75% of all the owners of that fund didn't do well. Yeah. The 25% that were in early, great. Yeah. But they didn't know it was going to do well either. Mm-hmm. So it's, again, make sure you have an investment policy that, make, mm-hmm. that gives you the right type of mix. What, is your, what, it, what kind of risk tolerance are you? Okay. It's always easy to have a high risk tolerance when the market's going up. Mm-hmm. Okay. But the true test is when the market's dropping, what are you buying now? Or what should you, what, what did you do when the market fell in, in 2008 or 2009? Mm-hmm. That's a real good test on what's your real risk tolerance. And if you're a do-it-yourself investor at the time um, and you made a lot of mistakes, and we have been having a few calls of in the last few years about that, maybe you should have an advisor mm-hmm. because they generally hold your hand during those times. So you don't do the exact wrong thing and cost you a lot of money. Um, number three, being afraid to take that loss. Sometimes you just have to take that loss and it's awful. Yeah. Awful. Okay. Um, there's stocks that do, you just aren't going to do well. Yeah. And you know, you got to do it like, you know, look at the Nortel of yep. the world way back. Mm-hmm. And uh, it just didn't make sense. Blackberry, mm-hmm. of course, is another one, a more recent one. So those are Canadian ones. But If you're sitting there and say, I'm just going to hang on until it gets the even. Well, maybe if you put it into something else that would actually go up a lot faster than the one that you had just, you know, holding on to. Mm that's what you got to look at again. But these are the decisions. The, are if you management. sell
2: it, a, a sell a loser, that means you've, you've committed, you've admitted that you, you lost. Yeah. You finally gave yeah, it. Yeah. Good point. Yeah. And nobody wants to admit that they've mm. lost. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. While you still hold it's, it, it's there's still back. the hope. No. It's, coming, it's back. coming back. It's coming back. It's the coming back train.
1: You never hear people talk about those losers either. <laughs> no. You know, it's like the ones that lost at Vegas. I, I always find everybody's winning at Vegas. They're not on social media. Yeah, true enough. <laughs> so um, number four, assuming bigger companies are better. Hmm. And this is interesting. I'm just buying blue chips, just the large ones. Well, um, GE, General Electric, is a large company. In the last year, went from $30 down to $11. Wow. Okay. Um, another huge company, hasn't done as well in the last while, is Eastman Kodak. Yeah, It was a $40 stock of within the last few years. It's now a $3 stock. So, you know what? I bet you there's a whole lot of people that would have loved to have sold Eastman Kodak at 20 bucks.
0: Yeah. Like a ton. Yeah. But
1: they held on to it. It's coming back. Yeah. And GE, you know, there's books about the previous um, president on how well he was doing. Uh, Walsh, I believe his last name was. Um, and then he left. And again, it just hasn't done as well. But again, This is why you diversify. And again, that's what individual stocks too. It's a little little harder to manage your money when you're trying to buy your own stocks. There's so much research out there. Um, Number five, misunderstanding diversification. So I got a bunch of funds. I got a dividend fund, a growth fund, and a balance fund. They're all five-star funds, Don, I don't need you. Okay. Well, wonder how much overlap are in those three funds? Mm -hmm. They could even be ones, say, AGF, one's Investor, one's Royal Bank doesn't matter. But when you look at what's actually in it, quite often they'll have the exact same stocks in it. Mm-hmm. And that's why the performance has been so good of late because they have the same holdings. All right. Yeah. In <laughs> fact, I had a one, in, one client of mine that said, you know what, I've been looking at things and I, I've been talking to this other advisor and he's recommending this Canadian fund, a re- Canadian resource fund and a global fund and a global resource fund. These are the top four picks. Well, oh, that seems rather balanced. I looked into them all of them were heavy in Canadian resources. Yeah. Even the global fund was 40% Canadian resources. Mm-hmm. No wonder they all did well. Yeah. So diversification is when they all don't do well at the same time. Mm-hmm. You want to see how well are how, how is the correlation between all the funds and the less they're correlated, the better. You don't want them all going up or down at the same time. Right. And number six, pursuing yield over everything. I'm t- going to go with just the companies that give me the highest yield. Well, there's a stock not far from here, a core stock, that's paying a 27% dividend right now. Mm-hmm. Unbelievable. Is that a stock you should be buying? I don't know. There's a lot of reasons it's paying a high dividend. Mm-hmm. A lot of the tobacco companies were paying over 10% yields mm-hmm. at one time
2: mm-hmm. because they had all these court cases. Right, um, and It's the only way to attract investors to either stay with them or add new money to them.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And what happens quite often is they drop the yield. They drop the dividend because they actually don't have enough earnings to pay the dividends, so they're actually having to borrow. Mm. And so there's a lot more to it than simply looking at what's the yield, and even high yield um, high yield bonds. Mm. They were down 26%, high US high yield bonds, during the 08, uh, 09 crises. People say, oh, I got bonds, I'm good. Well, they're a lot different than government bonds. These are more higher risk bonds, so you gotta really know what you're doing. So at the end of the day, finding a proper allocation that is consistent with your risk tolerance and have proper diversification and make sure your financial planner is going through all that with you. We are planning your
0: financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from Investors Group Financial Services, Inc. You can call now 905-529-7165 and check out their website at Andy and Don, all one word, andyanddon.com. You can listen to old shows there and ask a question via the listener inquiry button. We're coming right back.
2: We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister
0: and Don Fox are here from Investors Group Financial Services, Inc. Call now. Leave a message. They'll get back to you. 905-529-7165. And take a peek at their website, andyanddon.com. andyanddon, all one word, dot com. You can ask questions there, as well listen to old shows. Talking about estate planning.
1: Yes, it's, it's interesting. There's a recent survey with uh, Credo Consulting out of Mississauga, and they rated... Their advisors, mm-hmm. and it turns out that about twenty percent, one in five, rated them worth their weight in gold. Mm. Okay, and it was interesting because they they looked over seventy. They had a uh, seventy-five hundred Canadians they surveyed, and they also looked at whether their high net worth, which was anybody over five hundred thousand, mm-hmm. or under fi- uh, uh, under five hundred thousand, and they were rated identically. So it didn't matter on on their net worth, and the the key part was. It really didn't matter what the return was. Mm. Some of the ones that were rated low had the same return as they rated high. So the return wasn't the issue. It was all about planning and long-term relationships and going and helping them guide them through things such as marriage and divorce and different life events, uh, having a child, university, um, looking after elderly parents and estate planning. I can't
0: stress that enough. Uh, And you guys probably hear it because you're the experts here. I'm just the Joe guy that (laughs) that uses the service. Um, And I have this discussion with family members all the time, which you probably shouldn't. Um, (laughs) And, and, you know, I I talk about financial planners and I promote just exactly what you just said. Mm -hmm. And instead I'm hearing from uh, people uh... well this return that return this whatever and then in the same statement they'll say but you know i wasn't aware that i could claim this medical thing yeah. and now i got to go back because for however many years i haven't been taking advantage of this yes, yes to which i came around full circle and said that's exactly why you need a, fin- a financial planner Yeah. Uh, it's not about your RSP or just your RSP and how much you're going to have when you retire. It's taking care of all of these little life uh, events, life events, mm-hmm, making yeah. sure that the T's are crossed and the I's are dotted so you don't miss out on stuff like that. And when you think about like claiming medical, this, that, or the other, what we've all talked about on yeah. this show, yes. this is all part of the process. Probate
1: fees. And yeah. There's so many, so many A- dollars and, and they actually add up to over, uh, they've worked it out 3%. Higher return based yeah. on having an advisor is what they're worth from making or costs that they're right. paying in taxes because they're not doing things properly,
2: and, and that and that will show up in someone's net worth at the end of yeah. the day. The look day, back what was difference. my net worth ten years ago? What's my net worth today? And I will guarantee it'll be significantly higher if you're working with a yeah. planner over that time.
0: And people think, as you've said, that it's all about. The the big pot of sugar three at the end three, of yeah. A, yeah. end of all of this, and it's not. It's all these other life decisions that happen: deaths, births, divorces, marriages. Yeah, uh, everyone has a dollar cars, sign. Buying everything. I mean, yeah. that's where you really gain from having a financial plan. Exactly.
1: Yeah. Thanks, God. And every every single event has a dollar sign attached to it. Yeah. And a decision <laughs> made is either which way. It's a TSN turning point on how much it's going to cost. Yeah. Or opportunity cost. Yeah. And is totally different. And this is where having a proper plan on all these things. It's nice to have that phone call says, you know, Don, I was thinking, or Andy, I was thinking, you know, I've got this coming up or my mother's gonna be moving into a home. What should I be doing? Bingo. and those that's the advice. Yeah. And I know Andy's got a situation yeah, right here. Yeah,
2: literally a scenario where I met with a couple last week and but just as you were talking it reminded me of another conversation that we're working through right now. A client calls and says, "You know, as we're heading into retirement, we want to buy a place in Aruba." Mm-hmm. And so we've done some research and we're here's where we're at with this. We really need some help running through the numbers, etc. So we're just working on that. I'll share that story with you at, at another uh, show mm-hmm. down the road. So Anyway, we met with a couple this uh, past couple of weeks and they're both 75-ish in, in that range. And um, they have two daughters and the daughters are age 42 and 45 now. And uh, he retired from Stelco and she retired as a nurse. So they've been retired for about 15 years now, mm-hmm. rather right, right than their early 60s. Uh, and you know, th- we talked about their main goals right now. And so a lot of the traveling and those things that would have been important at the go-go years when they first retired. They're sort of past those now and right. we call it the slow-go years. And they're not really that interested in doing traveling anymore. Um, and it's more about just enjoying their family and being uh, around, around town here. Mm-hmm. And but the, mm-hmm. so the key goals have become maximizing the estate for their two girls. <clears throat> um, number two is minimizing their probate taxes and that's sort of dovetails in with that. Minimizing probate taxes and their final estate taxes. Concern about longevity. Both um, parents lived into their late 90s, and uh, so there was concern. You know what? We're going to be around for another 20 years, at least one of us. So how do we deal with that? And then finally, um, uh, sorry, minimizing current taxes. So they're paying taxes now. Can we do anything else differently? Just reviewing that, and also staying in their home as long as possible. So mm. they want to be able to, you know, leave in a wooden box, sort of, sort yeah, of speak, yep. if if possible. And so as we look at um, just looking at say their net worth today to give you an idea mm. of who we're talking about, you might see yourself in this picture too. Their home today is worth about 600000 and they also have uh, non-registered investments. So these would be mutual funds, there's about 160,000, GICs, guaranteed investment certificates, 30,000, savings accounts and checking accounts, et cetera, about 30,000. So a total of 220,000 in non-registered. And then they have their TFSAs, the tax-free savings accounts, which they've been maximizing. They're both worth about 66,000 each, so 132,000 in TFSAs. RIFs, so RSPs have all been converted to RIFs now, of course, because they're over 71. And there's about 255000 in RIFs still. And then they have some life insurance, which uh, part of that we set up years ago. Some of that was a legacy that they had before. So there's about $170,000 of uh, death benefit in terms of life insurance. And so their their net worth today is 1377000 And when we analyzed how much tax was going to be owing, so this would be tax on the RIFs, because no income tax has been paid on any of the RIF money yet, Uh, and also capital gains on their non-registered investments, we came up with a picture today is $125,000 of income tax to be paid. And then the next thing we looked at in terms of estate is their probate. And probate, if you think about it, anything that goes through their will to be distributed to the two girls is going to be subject to probate. So the things that are eligible or probate, uh, attached for probate are going to be the home, the principal residence, 600000 their non-registered investments, $220,000, and um, the RIFs. The rifts could be beneficiary or not, because right now each other is beneficiary, and depending on if it was a common accident, etc., but in many cases the rifts end up being probated as well. So there's another 255000 The life insurance would not be probated. It bypasses the will, would go directly to the daughters. Mm-hmm. The same with the tax-free savings accounts. Tax-free savings accounts, proper beneficiaries, they designate each other as the successor holder. And if there was a common accident, they have contingent beneficiaries on the TFSAs going to the daughters. So everything, that would not be subject to probate. So in terms of probate, there's about $1,075,000 of assets that are going to be subject to probate probate. probate tax, that's one and a half percent, that's $16,000. And then we worked out legal fees, probably about 1% of the value of the estate. There's another 14,000. And then burial is basic $7,500 each is what they suggested. So another 15,000 there. So in the total estate shrinkage is going to be about $170,000. So that number kind of jumped out at them thought, wow, that's significant. What else can we do mm-hmm. to stop this or, or minimize this? And basically the net estate after all of that today is 1,207,000 divided by two. So each girl at this point is eligible to receive about $603,500. And so now we put ourselves to work to kind of figure out, well, what else can we be doing and what should we be considering to help improve that picture for them? And so the first thing we want to look at is their income and what tax brackets they're in. And so in terms of the family household, they had their Canada pension plan, old age security, 32000 pensions, 48000 RIF income, the minimum RIF income is about $16,000 a year. And then they had some interest, dividends, capital gains, another 4,000, total almost exactly $100,000 of income that they have coming in. The tax on that is $15,000, so they end up with net income of about 85,000. Now what's interesting too is with income splitting, they're able to basically divide that income right in half so they each have a taxable income of about $50,000. And so when you look at that tax bracket in Ontario, the bracket falls between 46,000 and 75,000, and they're right in there at the part of that, and that's a 29.65% marginal tax bracket. So any additional income they earn, right up into an, uh, up to their income of 75,000, they're gonna pay, call it 30%, 29.65%. So 30% of any, so they earn another 1,000 uh, bucks or take a 1,000 out of their RIF, taxed. Now it's never going to be less. So based on, uh, and even if one, if one of them were to die, their actual tax bracket could end up being higher. So right now they're in two, because they can split their income, they can keep their income under 75 and, uh, avoid OAS clawback, et cetera. So uh, 85,000 they have coming in after tax. They're spending about 50 grand a year and they put 11,000 into their tax-free savings accounts. So right now they've got a surplus of $24,000, 2000 a month. And in the past that would have gone to other lifestyle things, travel and some other retirement uh, things that they've been doing. So they find they're spending less now. And other than maybe medical expenses in the future, they're both doing well right now. Um, there's quite a bit of money left over. So again, just thinking about those main goals that they had, they want to maximize the estate for their girls. Concerned about longevity, minimize the probate tax and final estate, minimize their current taxes and stay in their home as long as possible. We sort of came up with four main things that I'll talk about right now and what the results were as well. Number one, we talked about was transferring their home to a joint survivor trust. And a joint survivor trust is essentially um, a, a trust that's created, they have to see a lawyer probably cost about 1500 bucks, And the ownership of their home, instead of being owned jointly with the two of them, is going to be owned by a trust that they've created. And they are the beneficiaries of that trust. And they're also the trustees. So they can control what happens. They can sell their home. The principal residence exemption is still uh, valid. Uh, and, <clears throat> and so they have complete control. But if they both die or on the second death, the trust declares that the money goes to the daughters directly Mm -hmm. so by bypassing the will they can now avoid the probate tax on their principal residence. So that's a significant amount. Yeah. On a million dollar property. Exactly. You know, there's $15,000. That's Mm -hmm. right. So you think you're saying like their lawyer costs, probably 1,500 bucks to set up the trust. The probate tax today on the house is nine grand. Uh So they're already ahead by 7,500 bucks. When I looked at age 95, the probate tax just on the house is going to be $21,000. So that's a significant amount to save and certainly something that really intrigued them in in terms of the strategy as well. Um, Number two, transferring their non-registered investments. So that was their mutual funds, their GICs and uh, additional savings into the same joint survivor trust. And the benefit for that is there's no capital gains on the transfer into the trust because they own the trust. They're the beneficiaries of the trust. Um, But now we can if we switch over those to a corporate class there's some options there to do that they now can avoid having any additional investment income that they would have to pay tax on as well and so if we do that We can save about $3,300 in probate tax today, again, 15 grand at age 95. Mm -hmm. And we can also save them about $1,000 in tax every single year by transferring those non-registered investments into the joint survivor trust as well. Now, because again, that money will flow to the girls upon the second death. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, Number three was increase the RIF payouts up to as much as... Uh, a total income of 75,000 each. And that threshold is important because anything if you earn income above that, they'll start to get their old age security clawed back, so yeah. we wanted to avoid that as well. But basically, they're going to pay at their marginal tax rate, which is that 29.65%, if they took out an extra $10,000 each, so that's 20,000 total. Their income would go from 50 grand to 60, same marginal tax bracket they're yeah. in, they're not there's no difference. They're right. going to pay twenty twenty uh, 20, uh $2, $2, nine hundred and sixty five dollars to take out ten grand, and that's basically from now until they die. But if they die and it was all taxed in one year, it could easily be taxed at forty five fifty fifty three percent, and that's where the 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 risk of taxation is enormous. So I said, listen, you're never going to be in a lower tax bracket. You could definitely be in a higher tax bracket. So while we know what your bracket could be for the foreseeable future. Let's try and extract more money out of your RIF each mm-hmm. year right now, paying at this known tax rate. Yeah. And then we can use that surplus to either put more money into the joint trust or to gift to the girls. Right. And we'll talk about that in a second. So they like that idea. So number four, which was gifting to the girls each year, let's take that excess RIF withdrawal cause you don't need the money and we'll take $5,500 gift that to each of the girls and establish a tax-free savings account for them and begin to maximize it every single year while you're alive, mm. 5,500. So there's 11 grand going to the girls each year. And that made a lot of sense. And, and we know that there's still a surplus. And so to the extent that they felt comfortable, I said in terms of the additional surplus, um, you know, use it for a Christmas gift. You can use it as birthday gifts. Yeah. Um, one daughter has some, uh, has grandchildren, one doesn't. So that was a Do little- Do they subs- want any more kids? Or? No. <laughs> 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 want to adopt or- uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> adopt an adult kid at all? <laughs> I hear what you're saying. <laughs> um, but, you know, it's funny you say that because this, this tends to be a constant uh, or a common- theme where people will reach a stage in life recognizing that they have enough to do everything they want to do and now they're tr- now they're thinking what do I do about a state transfer how do I get this to the next generation and do it as efficiently as possible and does that maybe involve helping them out today okay so what were the results uh, the results if we had reinvested the money over versus just say gifting all of it to mm-hmm. them that the net estate, to in, in five years' time, we increased their net estate by $293,000. Wow, wow, wow. In the next 10 years, we improved their estate by 552000 And over the next 20 years, at age 95, we increased the estate by $1.5 million. And the probate fees will be virtually zero at mm. that point as well
1: which which child would like to <laughs> inherit an extra 1.5 million dollars i guess is the bottom line divided I mean, by 2 oh okay there uh, you go an
0: extra Uh, We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from Investors Group Financial Services, Inc. 905-529-7165. We're coming right back. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from Investors Group Financial Services, Inc. Call now. Leave a message. They'll return your call at 905-529-7165. And you can also ask a question and listen to old shows on the website at andyanddon.com. That's andyanddawn.com. Talking about uh, living together, but saving less. That's not right. (laughs) I thought marriage was supposed to be an advantage.
1: Well, you're absolutely right. And I'm going to get to that in a second because it was kind of interesting. There's a long road to go to get there. there. There's a way to get to that and I'll show you in a second. (laughs) Kansas State University published in the Journal of Financial Planning, which is interesting They even have this such a journal, which I'm going to have to check out a little later because I didn't even know this. But it went through, it said, well, they went through all people and they took a huge survey of people born between 1980 and 84. And they followed them all the way between 1997 and 2014, published it just last year about cohabitation mm-hmm. and with romantic partners. Right. And they thought, okay, well, what difference would it make whether they were living together or whether they're married? Right. Should there be any difference at all? Mm-hmm. In fact. I hear all the time, there's no difference. And, and I'm looking at now our, our own kids. I'm being 55 now and our kids and our kids' friends are, you're seeing a lot of them are cohabitating. Sure. Okay. And that's very common. It's actually far more common than the alternative of coming from the house and going into marriage. Yeah, true. Okay. Yeah. So it's, it's actually flipped as we all know. But it was interesting after they went through all this, anybody that were just cohabitated just, and with one person before marriage, had $27,000 less wealth than somebody that went right from the house and got married hmm. or had um, and never cohabitated before. $27,000 net worth. So I thought, okay, that one might be a one-off. Well, then they found out that serial <laughs> cohabitators, ones that had two or three times before they were married, um, had 33,000 less. Actually, those are the ones that never got married. Right. So the ones that never got married had a $33,000 less of a net worth. Right. And then the ones that uh, cohabitated two or three times before they did get married had an $18,000 less hmm. before their net worth. So the uh, the whole point of this- But a small
0: price to pay at the beginning for future laws, perhaps. Th-
1: yeah, exactly. I no question. That might be a good $18,000 investment, okay? Because it might have cost a lot more later. That's right. But it, it all came down to, as the survey went, because they really- we're kind of befuddled about why is this that you know people that are cohabitating are have a less net worth? Mm. You figure they're saving money. The whole purpose, all you know, dating's expensive. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. They're
2: permanently dating. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh. and I
1: think that's actually part of it. You're not they, saving for the future. You move in together, thinking, oh, we're saving five hundred bucks a month by moving in together. But that's well, you're only saving the five hundred dollars a month if you are <laughs> actually saving the five hundred dollars a month. <laughs> right. You save it, yeah. <laughs> so it came down to the attitude and belief system um was a big part of it you know versus the ones that are staying at home you know we're going to get married in a year um mm. and we're going to stay at home well those people are saving like crazy they're they're often with mom and dad still yeah, yeah. and they're banking the dollars okay
0: if they're saving if too. they're
1: saving but usually if they're going to get married they they seem to be more future oriented
0: yeah and if you're living with mom and dad you're going to you're going to have some sort of goal yes yeah they will not do it forever no no for well, sure hopefully
1: the, the serial cohabitators it was it was quite interesting in this survey. It's basically they're really not interested in long term planning. Clearly, <laughs> clearly, you no. Know, it, it basically is a long term date. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're dating for the long term. It was yeah. like a six month. Yeah, my last one lasted only five months. So this is long term now. Yeah, exactly. You know, and uh, so th- this is a whole area of of trying to get people to save better. And we've we've talked about this before. Um, Canadians you have a debt problem, okay? They're more in debt than ever. In mm-hmm. fact, actually, it has trickled down a little bit lately because interest rates are rising and they're not as in tune and wanting to get in as much debt because mm-hmm. their payments are going up. Yeah, It has nothing to do with the amount of debt. They just look at the payments. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, it's not a debt problem. It's a savings problem. And if we start early enough, we have to start and really teach our kids, yeah. we've got to start banking X amount of dollars per month. Mm-hmm. And the biggest thing is procrastination. And if you are spending a lot of time let's put our let's moving in together and that allows us to go for dinner more often Mm -hmm. well quality life is up sure but your savings aren't yeah versus (laughs) people that get married potentially they're thinking well we might have kids yeah so there might be a time in the future where we have one income or less or a, a period of a year where there's less income because of you taking time off for kids. Mm-hmm. Okay, whether it's the husband or the wife that takes that time off, and there's long-term planning. I know I'm sitting down with uh, some of my clients' kids, and it's totally different before they're while they're cohabitating than after they're married. Oh yeah, it's a different people They're different people. Yeah, and it's amazing how they're what was important when they're living together is no longer important. Oh yeah, we don't do that anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we I can't remember last time we went for dinner. Yeah. You know, we, we don't, we're trying to save up cuz we're going to we're looking at having a kid in a year. But the end of the end of the day, if you're constantly cohabitating, you're not thinking long term. And that doesn't matter. So when I'm looking at my wealthiest clients, they are focused on money. It's not that they're making more money. Yeah. They didn't make any more than the next person. They are simply more focused on what they should do. And boy, do they ever eat up a plan. Hmm. They just eat it up. They're looking, they're excited. They go, oh my gosh, we need this. Where were you five years ago? We want a plan.
0: Well, you were busy dating.
1: <laughs> exactly. And dating is expensive, as Andy said. It's yeah. not. This is not cheap. Um, and it's just a different lifestyle. So when you wrap your head around it, the, the, what I would like to say is, think of yourself, if you're cohabitating, Think of yourself as married now. Mm. Okay. Think of yourself as what if we did have kids in three years? Even if you're not married, you don't have to be married to have kids, as we all know.
0: Yeah, but that's the reason you're cohabitating in the first place is because it doesn't feel like marriage.
1: Yeah, I guess you're right. <laughs> you know, forget everything I said, Scott. <laughs> <laughs> have fun out there, yeah. and have Enjoy. about a, And have a thirty between twenty-seven thousand thirty-three thousand less net worth. <laughs> All right. I see
0: your your point. Uh, We are planning your financial future. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from Investors Group Financial Services, Inc., 905-529-7165. Call now. Leave a message. They will return your call. We're coming right back. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from Investors Group Financial Services, Inc. Call now. Leave a message. They'll return your call at 905-529-7165. And check out the website at andyanddon.com. All right. For uh, the four times, you do need to update your will. Four
2: times. I'm sure there's more, but uh, I think we're going to cover off four. And I've got this article came across my desk. One of our... One of the advantages Investors Group is a, the size of the organization and the depth of the people in terms of their knowledge and their experience is fantastic. But one of the um, one of the people that I follow on a regular basis, our vice president of our tax and estate planning for Investors Group, her name is Christine Van Callenberg, sent out this article to us just as a reminder saying there's four times when it makes sense to take a look at that will, the Mm -hmm. critical document, and when it should be. These are sort of the must times that you should definitely review it and probably update something. Mm -hmm. So number one, it's a girl or it's a boy if you're having children. Mm -hmm. And you know a newborn obviously needs a lot of attention, but at the same time, uh, if mom and dad aren't around, Mm -hmm. then having somebody that you feel is important or it's a key person to look after that as a guardian is absolutely critical. And the only place you're gonna be able to document that is in your will. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So when you have children, a newborn, or even a, a additional children, uh, that is a great time to review the will and make sure that your guardian is still the person you want it to be mm-hmm. because things change. Yeah, and, uh, and it's crucial because they're the people that are gonna take over the physical custody of the child take over uh, perhaps managing their assets as well. And uh, so boy, it's a big, big job to be able to do that one. It's kind of
1: funny. A lot of people will often think it's my godmother, godfather, are the ones that will look after it. that has no legal bearing. Mm. Mm. Good point. And mm. so that's one thing. And second, the other thing I often get is, well, we don't really have much assets yet, so we don't need a will. And again, like Andy said, guardian for your
2: newborn your kid, is yeah. the biggest one. Yeah. yeah. And you know, and, but as I said, circumstances change too. I know I had a client situation where they had a guardian, the original guardian um, of their first two children. Uh, it made perfect sense and it was a good fit. When the third child came along, by that point, their guardian had had a, um, a series of illnesses. Mm-hmm. And so, in terms of just I hate to be morbid, but their yeah. concern about the max their longevity, yeah. being mm-hmm. able to raise sure. their children for 15, 20 years, mm-hmm. uh, came into question. So, it was important for them to change their guardian yeah. as well. And the guardian is uh, legally till 18. Yeah. 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 Um, getting married again. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> again, <laughs> if you get uh if you're getting hitched later in life, uh you know, when one of bo- or both of you already have kids, that is that should definitely trigger a will update. Uh it it's a complicated revision. There's no doubt about it, but uh, and that's why people often neglect doing it or put it off, right? We, sometimes those things that are the most difficult, they kind of, eh, I don't want to th- go down this path. Um, but you need to speak to a professional, someone who's a, a lawyer who is a TEP. That's a T like Thomas, E like Edward, P like Peter. TEP, which stands for Trust and Estate Practitioner. That means they have a, a designated uh, expertise in drafting that. And you may even want to go to a, a family lawyer that can also do that planning as well, mm-hmm. because um, <clears throat> it, it, it is complicated. And really what you're trying to make sure is that you, you want to look after how your surviving spouse, what happens to them in terms of the assets. You do not want to disinherit your children. Uh, and you also want to consider what happens if your new spouse gets remarried again. Mm. So a lot going on in terms of, uh, getting married again, sp- if mm. you've got kids already, that's number two. Number three, caring for the disabled. Uh, and this is something that, you know, obviously some, spe- uh, some families know right away if a child is born with health issues, that they're going to have a, a long-term health issues that they need to address in, in their will, and more often than not, that involves something called a Henson trust. And, uh, I ran into that, um, just recently again with a family, uh, the, the mother had passed away and the siblings, one of the, uh, brothers, uh, had a incapacity and was not able to manage his own affairs and was basically, you know, eligible for uh, government subsidies and support systems. And the mother, thankfully, had contemplated a Henson trust, which allows the money to be held for him. And the brother became the trustee. Uh, and so that money is held now in trust for him. And he does get some income from it from time to time for various needs. Uh, but later on in life, I've also run into situations where families, uh, a family member maybe has an addiction. Mm -hmm. And they may have overcome the addiction, but the thought of them suddenly getting half a million dollars or a million dollars, uh, the parents were very fearful that that might trigger just the opportunity, make it that much easier to revisit that addiction again. So often a trust is contemplated if there was concerns about money management or addiction along the way. And number four, common law and divorce. Mm -hmm. So if you're living common law, You should, and Don was talking about earlier, you should definitely be drawing up a will as the surviving common law spouses don't have the same rights as a married spouse. Now that's the, and that's a good question. I mean, when you think about common law relationships, how significant and how important is it for each partner to make sure that the surviving common law partner is looked after, or is this money that ends up going to somebody else's family member? Right, so a lot of times that is left without even thought about. And I think the other thing is um, with respect to divorce, uh, <laughs> you want to make sure on a divorce, the key thing is revisiting the will to make sure all your beneficiaries are up to date. Mm-hmm. And that also goes for your, your RIFs, your RSPs, your TFSAs, pensions, et cetera. So revisiting the will either through a common law relationship or if you're getting divorced. Those are the top four. We have been planning your financial future. I'm
0: Scott Thompson, Andy Lister and Don Fox have been here from Investors Group Financial Services Inc. You can call now and leave a message. They'll get back to you at 905-529-7165 and check out their website at andyanddon.com. That's andyanddon all one word.com. You can listen to old archive shows there and ask a question via the listener inquiry button. Thank you, gentlemen. We'll Thanks, see you next Scott. week. See you Thanks, next Scott. Thanks, Scott.